Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Kia ora everyone, welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and I'm really glad you could join me as I have a really deep conversation with Stephanie Defreger, and we talk about a lot of different things. It turns out we were born in the same year, so it was kind of fun to think about the parallel journeys of life and the fact that we are now both sitting in Christchurch, New Zealand, talking about our journeys. And we had a real focus in this conversation on her career as a photographer. So we talked a lot about soul photography and the fact that taking photos is like recording a person's story. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you will as well. If you do, then if you're an Apple Podcast, why not leave a rating or review and hit subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to this so that you can catch other episodes which are coming up. We're about to hit episode 300, so there's plenty in the back catalog as well. And if you do enjoy this, then why not tell one other person about it? Now let's get straight into this interview with Stephanie. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Stephanie Defreger to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Stephen. Really glad to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a long time um, because we've known each other a long time. And sometimes when I'm interviewing people, I don't actually know them that well. But in your case, we've done that Pecha Kucha talk. Yes. You spoke there and I spoke the same night. And more recently, you came and took photos of my whole family. Yes. So we got to know each other through that process as well. Um, so I'm really looking forward to finding out about what you do in terms of the photography. And I know um, one of the things that really strikes me about your photography is that you're looking to capture the soul of the person. You know, you're looking deep into them. So I want to find out about your process and what you're doing. But before we do that, <laughs> I like to go in a time <laughs> machine and we go back in time. So mm. um, can you tell us a little bit about your life when you were a child, like when you were, say, five years old? Five years old. Oh, one of my favorite times, probably. I played a lot. I had a huge imagination. We have a family hut that's very old and built by my great grand uncle, actually, okay. up in the Italian Alps. And that's where I spent a lot of time. It's like a holiday batch, probably, for people here. Mm -hmm. So it was a time where we were a lot out in the streets and played as kids. And it was one year before school, because school starts in Germany at six years. Right. So that's really still the play age where there's... Yeah, no restriction. And there's a lot to be said for that, I think, isn't there? Rather than having children get into a structure yes. earlier and earlier, which it seems like there's a trend to that, you know, like send them off to preschool or school. Yes. And, yeah. I think it's the, the nice thing in Germany, though, is that school, even if it starts at the age of six, it's only for a few hours, like two and a half or three hours. Oh, okay. It's really gentle. Mm. I was very impressed here in New Zealand how kids get pretty much pushed into school at nine get a good wave, and then you pick them up at three again. And it's quite a big change for them, yeah. getting out of their family life and of, out of that nest environment into a real structured environment, which is still a lot of play. But, yeah, I, it's very gentle in Germany. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. So, Sinterest, for those of us who aren't as familiar with Germany, yes. um, which part of Germany were you growing up in? I was growing up in the southern part, which is Munich, near the Alps. Oh, So, with a little place. grumpy dwarf people I always say we are quite a traditional folk 
Yeah. We have huge rituals and traditions and rich history. Mm-hmm. So you probably have heard of the Oktoberfest. That's mm-hmm. actually quite well known. Yeah. So I, yeah, walked to that as a baby and then, you know, like all the way through. It has a lot of richness and the area is really beautiful. It reminds me sometimes of... Um, Christchurch just from the distance to the Alps it's also an hour right so you can see the Alps on good days we say fern which is a special weather pattern where you can really see clearly see pretty much every little tree on one of the mountains it's quite special well you know I used to live in London and we used to go to Munich because it was such a beautiful different place to London and we used to go they had these Christmas markets And you would go, and obviously it's quite cold, <laughs> but you're walking <laughs> along, and they had this thing, which was glue wine, yeah, I think it was, like exactly. a hot, the hot mulled hot, wine. Hot mulled wine, yeah. Yes. And um, I remember going down the streets, and they had lots of wood sort of carvings, and yes. there was this particular thing, um, which is, I think, traditional there, but it was like candles, and then they they would rotate around. They were like a fan. Um, and it was like a nativity scene yes, or something. It would yes, go, we have that at go home. Go in circles. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very lovely. I'm so glad you experienced it. It's one of the things I probably miss in wintertime is having these really cold days where you just grab a mulled wine and meet with your friends. It's a very social event in winter, and it's very dark. It gets dark at four. So having that time where you cuddle up in your in your warmest clothes and then meet your friends outside for some dinner is really lovely out there. Yeah. And having all these little bits as you're describing it, the decorations and yeah, that's a huge role that plays over there. Yeah, yeah, it was a, just an amazing place. So you're growing up in Munich? I, or a little bit, like two, the first two years I was in the middle of Munich and then my parents um, decided to go into a suburb. That's okay. just a few, like 10 kilometers out of Munich. And that was heaven because it was a, such a lovely community. It was called Neubiberg. And you pretty much knew everyone and you could walk everywhere and we biked everywhere as kids. And from an early age, we were allowed, you know, to bike and to be in the forests and play. And there was just this one rule that you had to be back at six. And first you had to do your homework. So you right. came back from <laughs> from school, did your homework, and then you were gone. There were no phones. There were no... Yeah, there was no touch-up in that time. And it was an incredible freedom for us to just play in the woods. We had woods really close. And that's just where everyone met. And we had little gangs and and played all all afternoon. That's great. I didn't realize there was so much wildlife or, you know, outdoors things within Munich itself. Yeah, it actually is. As soon as you get a little bit out, we have this massive English garden in the middle. Mm -hmm. But then when you get out, there are actually quite a lot of woods where you can just play. And even the little one for a kid, it seems really, really big. So, yeah, that was where we met. Yeah, That's great. And the, the era that we're talking about, like... There was a lot going on in Germany around that time in terms of reunification and yes. things like that. What Can you just place this in terms of the years that we're talking about? What era was it? Um, what era was when I was young? Yeah. Oh, I was born in 76. Yeah. So probably through all my 80s, it was still childhood. And then, yes, we had um, the, um, the United Germany, yeah. which was for me as a child not that big. I remember yeah. that. Was well, like, that was oh, my yeah. question. I was just curious. Did it... Was it on your radar very much, or no, it was kind of a, a removed thing oh, that was no. going on? I was a teenager. I was so much more interested in other things. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, all my family being really, like, excited. And, yeah, the whole community, you know, it was it was a big thing. I could feel it, but as a teenager, it was all about 
me and my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, at that time, I wasn't very aware of it. Only yeah. later, probably than in my later teenage years, yeah. it was a bigger thing. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe that's partly to do with where you were as well within Germany. Very southern. Yeah. yeah very yeah. close to the Alps and yeah. just a lot really in the Alps too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about that because you mentioned like you were talking about Italy, right? Like, yes. How far away was it to this holiday house or it was a long drive i remember as a kid four hours something like that yep. <laughs> which is really long but we listened to podcasts or we listened to um at that time podcasts weren't there so it was like cassettes of tapes yeah. tapes yeah tapes of fantasy stories from yeah. very cool um authors four hours roughly on country roads most of it and yep. then up up, 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 and then sometimes you even had to push the car over the last bit because it was gravel road. It's very hidden, so you, you cannot drive there. So you only could get as far as you could, and then you had to carry everything up to the hut. Wow. And the hut has only, yeah, cold water from the source, from, from the spring, just down mm. the mountain, and no electricity, so candles. And you just sit outside a lot, yeah. And is it a place that your family still has connection to? Can you still go back there? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, this is the place where I normally go when I go overseas. This is where I go straight. It's my sole place, I say that. Um, yeah. um, I have spent so many days there, and I still do, like also for retreating, you know, mm. just being by myself. I went on that adventure. I talked about Pichacucha mm. just for 12 days by myself in winter. And that's hard because there's not even water, so you actually have to melt the snow, and it's really cold. So just to stay warm is a huge energy action. Mm. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So and my my father owns the hut, so oh. he he has inherited it and looked after it. He's the guardian since 50 years. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. so um, I've been always very involved in repairing things as much as I could, or helping with things. Yeah. But over the last, I'm now here 16 years in New Zealand. It was very limited and I miss it. Like mm. I miss being part of that process and also looking after it because nothing has really changed in that hut. Mm. It's a big it's a big hut. It yeah. has like one, two, three, four, five bedrooms. Wow. So it's it's a bit it's not like a villa, but it's a really big hut and really log cabin. Yeah. So, and since yeah. it's so special to you, I'm just thinking, like, if, if I was to visit there and I'm yes. walking up to it, can you set the scene? Like, oh, what does it look like in you know, comparison to the land around it? Are there lots of trees or, yeah, what is it? It's a lot of trees and it's called the larches, large trees. So they have a very distinct smell too. So when you walk through there, it's very... Oh, it's just special. So you walk up and you have your backpack on and whatever you have to carry. Normally, two bags each side. Yeah. And then you walk up through those huge old trees that have been there since hundreds of years. And you come up and it's this little path. It's only a footpath. And you go through a little valley and then there it is. You can see it. It's like a, it's like a queen sitting on a throne. It's on a little cliff top. And it has these views to the Dolomites. And you just enter that space and you hear already the, the spring from the fountain. There's mm -hmm. a fountain running all the summer. And then you can hear the, the cow bells because the cows are grazing there by themselves and running around freely. And you arrive and it's just this absolute silence there combined with these really natural noises. Um, and that's just an instant relief. When people come up there, they just... Oh, they just let go. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. It's a great description. Thank you. Because I, I love that there's places in the world like that that are kind of magical, aren't they? they? Absolutely. Like they exist 
outside of time. Yes. You know, that you could have gone there 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, exactly. and it would basically be the same. Exactly the same. If you look at the photographs, because my great-grandfather was a really good photographer too, right. and he took photos of the build of it, which was tremendous at that time to have color photography. Wow. It was built 1911. Oh. So he was up there. He even had like a dark room on another hut. So the really famous painter, which is like the, if we take a family tree that's like on the top, he built this beautiful villa really close by, probably 300 meters away. And then his sons built more of those huts. But our awesome uncle, great-great-uncle, he built it further away. He must have been special. Like, no, I'm not staying with the family clan. I just go a little bit away. And it's just magnificent mm. to have that special location so far removed from any tramping tracks or anything. You, you can't find it if you don't know where it is. Yeah. Wow. That sounds special. I'll have to go there one day. I would love <laughs> to welcome you there. That's Absolutely. Awesome. If you go over there and I'm over there, please come and yeah. visit us. Yeah. There's places. Uh, the, the other thing that occurs to me is that there's what um, I interviewed someone named Peter Beck, who used to be the dean of the Christchurch Cathedral. Yes. And in that conversation, we talked about the idea of thin places, places in the world where there's a less of a gap, I guess, between um, whatever word you want to use, spiritual sacred. or sacred, yes. yeah, that there's places that you go, and sometimes it's an awe-inspiring cathedral or, you know, like a, an is. amazing yes. um, view standing beside a waterfall, or yes. there are these places in the world that you go and you, you realize there's something bigger than, than just you as, an, as a person. Yes. And, and it sounds like I that's agree. what that is. It totally <laughs> is. At least that's a reaction of friends and family members that go up there. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you on that one that there are special places and you can feel it. Mm -hmm. Like I have a very strong intuition and when I go to places, I feel some places are really old or really sacred. And only later I hear there was a big story about that place. And as you say, with cathedrals or churches, they were built on energy sources. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a place where people gathered in very old times. And someday someone decided actually it would be great if we wouldn't, you know, like be cold or wet. Yeah. What about we build something? And that's also the sacredness um, that we feel when we enter those spaces. It's mm -hmm. because a lot of energy has been brought in by people walking it mm. and walking there and meditating in there mm. again and again and yeah. I think as you say beside a waterfall there are really old voices and there are really old spirits in my opinion yeah. and if you take the time and remove yourself from your normal life and that in brackets place um, you feel it very intensely mm. and it just fills us up I guess so as humans we do have that gift to walk around and feel places and it's the same with the opposite i feel there are places there's hardly any energy mm. and i personally remove myself from those places very quickly or people that are just taking energy rather than mm. emanating good energy and i think that's something important to figure out where i am you know is this a magical place or is this a good or magical person and just find our way through that yeah i agree with you and i think it's important to emphasize this because for all of us we need to replenish ourselves yes. and we need to make sure that we take time out. Yes. For me, there's a place up in the Lewis Pass, which is called Where? Lake Daniels. Ah. So it's just this beautiful little lake. Have you I've, been there before? I've just walked there a few months ago. Yeah, so you'll know. Like It's it's not that far. Um, I don't want hundreds of people to go there tomorrow, <laughs> but 
it's a it's no no easy. it's called like michael <laughs> yeah yeah i forgot it's it, but it's quite easy to get to you know it's probably eight kilometers i think but you go up through this forest and there's birds and they come up close to you and then you get there and it's just this lake and it's so pristine there's just the forest growing right down to the shore and it just feels again like a timeless sort of place it doesn't it so is yeah. i think we humans are really visitors on this place and nature has just incorporated their own really special emanating energy sources mm. and like daniel's is like that it's one of the easiest yeah. and most beautiful walks i've walked yeah. and i actually take my kids in a few weeks there yeah oh, um, awesome yeah. and did you jump in and yeah i get in when, if i've same. gone that far i'll jump in the water for sure <laughs> yes i think that's the retreat when you come up there it's just yeah. mind-blowing how you can have a lake that you walk up to mm. you know no normally you walk to lakes straight on the on the that's surf, right yeah. but you walk actually up to a mountain lake and then there are all these trees yeah and touching the yeah lake. yeah for me it's a special place as well um because when I was 20 years old, I was deciding, should I go to Japan for a year or not? And wow. I went with a friend and my father up to the lake for a night, and we were talking, talking, talking. And as we walked out, the friend said, um, will you regret not going to Japan when mm. you're 85? And, mm. and it was like this triggering thing, like, I probably would regret it if I don't do it. So for me, it's like a place where I made a life decision as well. Yes. So it's like a double meaning. Yeah. It ha it sounds like it's your soul place. I think it is. Yeah. Where yeah. you go to when you want to ponder on things or make some decisions or exactly. just find space and 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 nothingness. And nothingness, I think, is something really positive. It's yeah. not scary. It's space, yeah. spaciousness. And yeah. in this new things or ideas can really or a voice can become really clear yeah exactly so for the listeners where is your place <laughs> and how often do we get back to it to get that replenishment but coming back to your and i knew this was going to happen because i knew that we were going to have a lot to talk about <laughs> so this is a this is one of my favorite types of conversations because we're just mm -hmm. going to meander through and we have no idea where we're going we don't yes. know where we're going but it's going to be fun yes so it is. but coming back to your your growing up your yes. childhood um can you describe sort of coming through primary school into high school like what sort of things interested you then were there subjects that you enjoyed or yeah what 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 was shaping you at that point what was shaping me at that point going from primary to high school um, I had a really good friends group. I think that was important for me. Mm. And my primary school years was really a lot about playing and dancing. I was a ballet dancer and I really loved it. And I was a horse rider and I really loved that. And when I love something, I love it dearly. Mm. Like I get not obsessed by it, but I definitely was a, a huge fan of horse riding and ballet. Mm. So my family had to come into my shows in my room quite a lot. I right. prepared the tickets <laughs> and they had to come and watch it. And if there ever were big family gatherings, I was dancing. And if there ever were friends at my parents' place, I was dancing. Wow. So what I did loved you, shows. What did you love about dancing? What, what was it? The movement, uh -huh. the utter movement. I loved classical music mm. and I still do. Mm. And I just love where it leads you. And if you b let your body fall, follow it yeah just really fall into it so it wasn't really a program i had in mind it was more like a put on a tape mm. my parents were very big classic fans so i grew up as a baby probably surrounded right. by classic and yeah. they got me into concerts and musicals and these things when yeah. i was um, very young so i think there was this love instilled in in myself and i just love dancing and i saw that in my daughter when she 
could hardly walk. She danced. She danced everywhere. When you wanted her to do something, you asked, can you please dance to the curtains and close them? You didn't ask, can you please close right, them? Yeah. And she did. It was really <laughs> cute. So dancing and horse riding was a big thing. Friends, massive. And then there was a big cut from primary school going to high school because my high school was in town, in Munich. Oh. Wow. So we were 10 years old or whatever we were. I think so, yeah. And we started high school. And that's um, it was an all-girls school led by some beautiful nuns, the Dominikanerinnen, Edith Stein Gymnasium. And it was, it was actually a really lovely place to grow up as a high school student. Mm -hmm. They were very caring. And, of course, you had teachers you didn't like or some you liked far more and really loved and adored. But it was a good community and a good sense of, of community. Mm. And there was a lot of um, faith involved, so it was religious. So we did pray in the morning and at yeah. lunchtime. Um, but it all felt really natural, and it wasn't like you had to. It was more like it was short and just mm. a part of being a Christian mm. and being kind. Mm. Yeah. Just sort of integrated into life yeah, as it, it is, you know, yeah. which sometimes I think, uh, unfortunately, we kind of split it and we don't recognize that yeah. there's actually spiritual dimensions to every person. So and, true. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, it's that's what those people do or that's what that is over there. But actually, it's, it's inherent all in, in all of us, I think. Yes, so, I think that's very yeah. wise to say. Yeah. And then, so in high school, were there subjects that you enjoyed? And I, I'm curious about the photography side of things, obviously. So <laughs> it's like, when does that come is up? That, was that starting to emerge or, yes. or was that? I yeah. think you just nailed it. I, um, I got that camera given by someone in my family. It was a red camera and that was in the high school years. And mm -hmm. that's where I spent my pocket money on was like getting films and getting them developed. Yeah. So I was always the weird one probably with the red camera on my neck when we did school excursions. Okay. Everyone else had posters of new kids on the block and magazines and I had my camera and I snapped and the photos weren't that great at that time to be honest, mm. like if I look back at the photo albums. But they're epic just to see the memories and no one else took ever a photo. So right. all my friends and I are like, oh, cool. You know, like you have those photos from these school excursions yeah. and that's a treasure. So I learned from my father was a photographer and he photographed us a lot in holidays. And so um, all well, the time. I'm curious about this. Let's just yeah. go there for a second, because you mentioned when the, the hut you called it was yeah. being built, that you had photos that were taken by yes. your was that your great great grandfather great grandfather. Yeah. Yes. So so that. That's quite a long legacy, really. Like, Probably. were you aware that that he had been a photographer or, or no, taking photos? No, I think actually it's really interesting. Um, when you have a skill or a gift, you think like everyone does it. Or all the kids grow up like this. Right. But the now, the older I got, I was like, no, actually, that was really unique. Mm. No one of my other friends' parents took photos. Or my father always made a year album. So all mm. of the year was in one huge album. So right. he has now... Well, I'm now 45, so at least since I'm born. Right. So they have 45 big photo albums in yeah. my dad's office. So uh -huh. it's massive. So it must, he, he did it. He's also quite artistic. Uh -huh. He's really good in speeches and, um, r you know, rhymes, um, doing yeah. songs. And um, he's, a, he's a government worker. He's an engineer. So uh -huh. quite different what he did then. But that creativity really was in the family. And the photography... As I say, there wasn't like he had a tripod and walked out and did the landscape. It was more like mm. 
important part of our family life to document it. Mm. So there are some incredible memories I can now access through those photos. Mm. And I think that's what I started when I picked up the camera. I just enjoyed creating memories. It wasn't the quality that much that it is now for me. Mm. It was really just documenting life. And mm. gosh, we look pretty horrific at 13, you know, like teenagers and outfits. And it's just... It's just, wow, perms left, right, and center, and bright colors neon was in. So the photos are just precious to love a lot mm. when we look at them now. Yeah. So that's like the high school years um, that has had definitely started then. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you're drawing out that element, which is really the history side of photography. Because if you think about it, um, when you research an ancestor, you know, like somebody lived 100 years ago, yes. you can fairly easily find out their name, yes. where they were born, where they died. Yes. But if you can get a photo of that person, all of a sudden they come to life. Yes, and, so true. And I think that's, that's the, the extra element of photography, isn't it? It's like, you know, picture tells a thousand words. And if yeah, you can yeah. have a photo of your great-grandmother... It all of a sudden they become like a real kind of person. They and, do, yeah. and I agree with you on that one. There's also a really big part I realized um, just looking at the story of my great grandfather, who was a very famous painter, mm-hmm. and he he was a sole portrait artist, and he did it in paintings, which is absolutely stunning. So when I grew up as a kid, we had those paintings on the walls. Right. So it was like having a real person mm. in your living room or in your um, dining room. And I realized that with each photograph you actually, or painting, you capture an energy. So when you see like a photograph of your grandfather, mm-hmm. you not only feel his energy if you're tuned, actually the, all the things that are in the photo have an energy too. Mm-hmm. So you pull them into that photo too. So you suddenly access, in my opinion, like a world mm-hmm. at that time. And I find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And if you're like... Um, attuned to it i find there's a lot of energy in photos or there's none you know i see some headshots where i think someone was in a studio and there was no connection to the photographer and they just got it done and they didn't like it Mm. the whole situation and they probably didn't like the photo afterwards but it's it's really empty Mm. and then you look at other photographs where it's really deep and rich and as you say with the grandparents when you when i look at the photos that are on our family art for example from 19 when would it be? Yeah, 1910, 1950, 1920. They went to a photographer where there was a scene set up, like a mountain. Right. And there were little trees and little tree tr- stumps and moss. And it was like a created scenery for a theater. Mm-hmm. So very different to the photography that we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably why I haven't also approached studio myself, because... I find that what we find in nature and that energy to put in a photo behind a person, I don't know if you can feel it, but I think you can. Mm. So it's very interesting to go to different places and different spaces and capture whatever's there. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm thinking of the photos that we took together and we were outside and we had that beautiful harbor in behind with the amazing color. And that day it happened to be really an amazing, like clouds, but then sun, and then it was like a contrasting, you know, and so the photos have a lot of energy in them just because of the the beauty surrounding the people, you know? (laughs) So right, and I think there are also some places like 
Godly Heats, that are special. Mm. And I remember when I was shooting in Wanaka and was a wedding photographer there, we flew up with a helicopter to the nice spots. Mm. And I always said afterwards to friends, you could put a fridge up there and it would look amazing. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and then put a happy wedding couple there. It looks triple amazing. Yeah. So you get a lot of energy of amazing places. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I really love that. Yeah. I really well, I think, I think it's important too, like what you're doing is documenting a person at a moment in time. Yes. And I really love that. And it's that it's telling a story about the person. And I think yeah. you're really good at that and drawing people out. Um, and I'm like, with this podcast, what I'm doing is a different form of storytelling, which is the audio version. Yes. <laughs> but this is like a slice of life, a moment in time when we're conversing, and then it will be there for people to listen to in the future. And it's kind of a similar concept, you know, that, that people will hear your voice, they'll yes. hear how you express yourself, and, and then they'll get to know you through the audio. Yes. Um, and I think it's very similar with a, a photo, is that you can look at a portrait a beautiful portrait and particularly I think um, the emphasis on the eyes you know and mm. and really capturing something about a person's eyes and drawing that out yeah yeah I thank you for saying that mm. I love that and I think there is so much energy in the eyes and mm. quite often it gets forgotten and it's one of the nice things you were also saying now with this podcast I agree you're you're pretty much creating a picture you know, not with a brush and some paint, mm. but with your words where people dive into. And it's like one of these Mary Poppins yeah. um, pictures on the ground where you jump in and people come with you in this other world mm. on your podcast. And at the end, they come back to the surface and it just looks like a plain picture yeah. on a concrete, but <laughs> it wasn't. You really dive with each podcast into something and you don't even know what you're painting or what the other person is painting. Mm and what people get out of it when they listen to it. Mm. But it's just so exciting to create it. Mm. So I think that creation, we share the same passion of creating mm. moments in time and pulling people into that moment just for yeah. a tiny bit. It might go straight to their heart, it might go straight to their soul, it might just be a new thought or inspiration, and that's it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and it is, it's similar to the photography side of things. I'm just thinking of the analogies, you know, like, when you're there with a person taking a photo, it's similar to me here talking with you. And it's just the two of us in this in this room that we're recording in. Yes. But then other people are listening in on the conversation. Yes. You know, and it, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's yeah. a special thing. It is a special thing. And yeah. what I love about our conversation, for example, is the eye contact. Like we are connecting on eye mm. level like 98% of the time. And that's yeah. rare. A lot of conversations, people look away, they look down or up, depending on the level where they're at, emotional level or yeah. future past. So it's really nice to also have that intense time. And that's probably how you draw things out of people is that you connect yeah. straight with them and hold that gaze. And that's a gift. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you noticed that because that is my intention is that I gather people in the same room yeah. so that we are face-to-face, -face, eyes looking in each other's eyes, yes. because I think there is an intimacy created by that. And I've done quite a few interviews by Zoom mm -hmm. just because of COVID and yes. technology. You know, it's just not possible to meet somebody who's living overseas or something. Yes. But I much, much prefer this format, which is, you know, the richness of the voice, the, the, the microphone here is really high quality. And then we're present with each other. We are. And I yeah. can feel the energy actually flowing. I don't know if you can feel it. It's yeah. a really 
hot stream going from from heart to heart and just from human to human yeah. where there's this connection and that's a beautiful topic by itself is that connection yeah. you know that we all are meant to have as human beings yeah, with exactly. ourselves it's or about with it's about relationship and and people and it's kind of unusual like we're going all different conversations <laughs> here but I, I love it because that's the that's the <laughs> beauty of of conversation is that you don't know exactly where you're going no, you but don't i'm just know. thinking even <laughs> reflecting you know you said you were born in 1976 yes well, i was born in 1976 so it's interesting to have two people born mm. in different parts of the world mm. we've had different journeys mm. and now here we are we've been on the planet probably a very similar amount of time <laughs> yes. and here we are kind of reflecting and riffing off of each other and yeah it's really cool that is really cool yeah so anyway back to your <laughs> life <laughs> and thinking about getting you know sort of towards the end of high school mm -hmm. like um yeah what what were your plans or what did you think the future would hold had you ever heard of new zealand before <laughs> like what <laughs> Tell us a bit about the, the coming years. The coming years. Well, when I got older, so I was really into sports, so that um, and French languages and art a little bit. It wasn't actually my biggest topic. Um, so that was the high school time, and then we have Abitur, which is the last year of graduation. Mm -hmm. So mine was sport and French, and that was epic. We had a lot of fun. I think I always picked things I really enjoyed in life. I didn't see the purpose of doing really hard work. I think hard work is anyhow in everything you do. Mm. So the times where I could pick, I picked some really cool topics that I enjoyed and that I felt very connected to. I love France and I love that language. It has another mm. uh, melody, mm. I would say. Mm. So end of high school, I didn't know what to do, to be honest. I always wanted to become a news talker learned then that you have to be like know what you're talking about in the news and I wasn't very interested in the news itself I just loved to talk I right. guess <laughs> so that didn't work out so I wanted to um, study communication and become a yeah just a radio person I thought right. yeah that's cool I can do radio um, and be have fun and then they had a very unfortunately we were a very baby boom year so they had lots of people wanting to do communication i did really good in my graduation but there was like 0.1 missing and if you missed 0.1 you had to wait for another year i see so i was like what could i do and i had a boyfriend at the time who was a banker um and we played golf yeah different time in my life and so i started studying economics because with economics it was like well i can do anything from there mm. and sure enough i picked a topic i really enjoyed and that was human resources because i love people i love people since i was little my parents were concerned because i just walked off talking to absolute strangers and walked off with them so they always were like oh god have they kidnapped our daughter <laughs> she's still where alone. is she again <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I picked human resources because I find humans fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a very cool time just experiencing. I worked in Switzerland in a really beautiful company there. And we did leadership seminars. So it was all quite um, a bit conservative, I would say. Mm -hmm. A bit um, still at the same time huge expansion of the mind because I was allowed to sit in the back of the room of all these leadership leaders mm -hmm. so there were these leadership seminars for weeks and i just listened on all the new stuff you know eq just came out from de bono and i just learned about hats and how the creative hat and, right. you know like yeah. it, i was 21 something like that and i absorbed it like a sponge i thought yeah. that's amazing but okay. it was within the context of sort of the business world very much yeah. it was business world team leader manager so 
yeah, it was 99% men, pretty much, of the people who attended. Mm-hmm. And I was in a role of being the PA to one of the um, teachers, coaches. I mm-hmm. don't even know the term for it now. And also I was responsible for the events, so I organized the events, ballooning and upsiling, and I was right there doing all my outdoor adventures with them. Yeah. And was all paid in five stars hotel in Switzerland, and they're really beautiful hotels. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very much living a very epic life. Mm. I got the VDAP convertible of my parents um, for the time, and I every weekend when I didn't work, I just rushed off in the the car just was a picnic basket and went all those old passes you go up and down so that was a that was a lovely time met my husband at that time and on one of the in one of those hotel seminar things mm-hmm. and um yeah finished my studies and then got pregnant mm-hmm. and so the work in the human resource didn't quite work out for the time because the seminar business is a week pretty much you work uh, five days yes. and I had this baby and I, I love being a mom um, yeah. yeah so I really struggled leaving him even my parents are gorgeous and they care for him beautifully but I really missed him so I decided no that's not going to work so I thought what could I do so I started painting on walls and um, you then, started painting on walls on, I painted on walls and then my, my husband at the time said look this is getting really expensive to paint and then you don't like the color and you right. get the painters in and what about you take a canvas I was like oh yeah that's an idea so I started painting on canvas very bold very um, textile um, yeah lots of texture lots of paint lots of acrylic like wow and um, started having exhibitions thought why not and then some painting sold and yeah at the same time um, we decided to come to New Zealand um, as a family mm-hmm. I just had my my second daughter then and then I kept and continued with New Zealand so New Zealand wasn't on my plan or radar before I visited it two or three times on holiday uh-huh. and really it spoke to me especially the North Island I really loved and parts of the South Island so yeah, that's where we landed wow. on the North Island. So how what, talk me through then, like the decision to move to New Zealand. It sounds like family is very important to you. Yeah, like that's because I'm I'm international as well. Um, if you hear my accent, yes. I've got connections back to America, and yes. you know Ellie, my wife, is from England. Yes. So so we've had to struggle with this: the fact that New Zealand is at the edge of the world. <laughs> um, yeah, t- talk us through that decision. I guess to come to New Zealand. Was it an easy decision? Or? Uh, it's a quite a deep decision. It was a decision I missed my husband. He was working a lot. Mm. So he was um, a consultant for a very renommated company. I don't okay. know the word. Um, renommiert, we say. So he was away Monday to Thursday, sometimes Monday to Friday he worked. Right. So I felt very alone with this baby and not a, not working. You know, it was yeah. I, f- I felt really raw. I wanted a family. I grew up in a family. I grew up with dinners together, mm-hmm. and you talk about what happened on the day. So I wanted to recreate that. And he worked a lot, and he's very smart, so mm-hmm. he, he's doing a great job with that. But it felt really unbalanced, and I was just a single mom. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time with my parents because my friends were all studying <laughs> or working, so they, they, there wasn't time to play. And then I made some friends with other moms, but I was... A bit lonely, I think, at that time. So I said to him, look, I really want to change. And he said, well, if we go somewhere, we go somewhere far. Mm. 
um, I want you know make a really big step. Right. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like a great idea when Ferdinand was still little. He was um, two and a half, I think, or two. Um, but then the process of doing it took two years. You know, like the medicine, medical reports and right. I yeah. needed two language tests and just till we had all everything sorted was two years. And my little daughter, daughter, my little daughter was born. Yeah, and I remember giving birth and signing the contract to move out of the house. It was really emotional. It was wow. pretty hard. Yeah. And I realized at the time it's not, it doesn't feel that great. But, you know, when you have, it's pretty much when you get married and you're already walking down the aisle. Mm. There, there's not much time to turn around. Right. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> we've really made decisions and now you pretty much made decisions. It. And I said to Michael, I think three days before the flight, I said, I don't want to go. And he's like, we can't do it. We yeah. can't stop it now. It's yeah. all organized. You know, <laughs> everything is in place. You know, we bought a camper van in New Zealand right. for lots of money because it was a big camper van. And everything was, we, we had nowhere to live apart at my parents' place. They have actually quite a big place. So yeah. we had a flat there. But it was, it was just stressful. And I had very poor communication skills yeah. and um, very poor conflict skills. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, let's give this a go. And it was just a disaster. Right. It just didn't work out. Yeah. And we separated yeah. a year after that. And it was really hard to miss my family. And my family was really sad that I left. And I was right. like, oh, God, you know, like, I'm such a family person. My family's like, yeah, right, you are. Off you, <laughs> Off you are. And you can hear on my voice how emotional I'm still yeah. about it. But yeah. it's uh, it was a hard time. Mm. It was really a hard time. And I couldn't. I, I, I was writing a travel blog, actually, and all my friends were like, oh, your adventures are amazing in New Zealand, and right. you're such a happy family, and, you know, I didn't let anything... But then the reality anything, was something different. To the reality inside was different, yeah. and I think, yeah, I've navigated it really badly uh -huh. um, from that term. I didn't know how to communicate it well, yeah. and it was just, yeah... Yeah. It was just a bit hard at yeah. that time. So that's how I came to New Zealand. Right. And then would have been probably a time to turn back um, because we separated. But I met a new man uh -huh. in Wanaka, New Zealand, a Kiwi. Yeah. And fell in love with him. So I was like, oh, you know, family in Germany is screaming. What am I doing here? Yeah, and yeah. It was You're a, far away. <laughs> I, I made some really big decisions and didn't quite think them through. Mm. Um, I didn't want to, and I couldn't. I think I was not on that level. I did my best, I think, with everything. I really yeah. did my best, but it was a muddle up. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, life is a journey, right? Yes. <laughs> and looking back, things can be seem perfectly clear, but in the moment that you're making it's decisions, yeah. you know, you you make like you say, you'd you'd made a series of decisions, and then there was the consequences so yes yeah yeah and that's okay i mm. think otherwise we would not sit in this room and otherwise i wouldn't have met all the amazing clients in my photography yeah you know like yeah. um that's a beautiful chapter that only started in new zealand mm. um because my paintings were great here in new zealand and i did give them to galleries and they did sell and all these things but i moved to wanaka and wanaka is not into bold and and contemporary right it's more landscape and oil Sure. Yeah. And so I was like stuck again and I decided, hey, what about if I do the photography? I was right. actually quite good at it. So that happened. And over the I was asked to do a book because I just photographed at someone's mm -hmm. birthday party, a, a few kids. And she said, could I use this for a book I want to do? And then a collaboration um, 
was created that I did all the photos and design and she did the text and this mm. baby book is actually still selling after 12 years wow. which is lovely it's called did you know and it's just a lovely um, book about neuroscience and how important love is in the first three years of huh. a baby so that was the opening of the door that for was like, the opening oh, photography because that baby or that little child toddler I photographed it was like a soul shot because kids don't hide mm. their soul they, they come with it. They have really big eyes. They have it, them open. Yeah. They look in your eyes and they really keep that gaze. Mm. So taking photos of them was just beautiful. And yeah, that photo really struck straight into the heart. Yeah. And so that's where it all started probably. That's great. And when did you realize that this could become a business or could be something that you focused on full time? Uh, I it think it happened, yeah, with the book really selling well and yeah. then getting into the wedding photography right. which is actually something I can do with kids I had three kids by then yeah so with a little baby and it was something I could do and go out work really hard you know like a hunter go out hunt and then come back and do the photos in my own time in my sure. cave yeah. and edit them and you can fit it in the routines yes. of yes. life yes and that was important for me I love being a mom mm. and um I love that connection. So it was important for me to have a job. I tried nine to five before. It's just not really who I am. And mm. I think it's important to acknowledge it. I can do it. I've worked it um, for years. But it's if I can prefer, I'd rather go out and hunt and find these jewels and then come back yeah. and present them to my clients. Yeah, well, that's great. So Christchurch is where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> when, did, when did you move here? Have you have to move. Um, that was um, after the earthquakes. Okay. Yeah, straight okay. after the earthquakes. Yeah. Wow, so you've, you've seen it kind of changing in the last decade yes. quite a lot. Yes, it does take its time. I'm still, I remember, because I love beautiful places and energetic places, mm. I struggled in the beginning to find them again. Mm. So I was a lot in nature, a lot in the Port Hills where I live mm. at the bottom. And I also went a lot to Craigieburn and the ranges. That's mm. my sole place probably here in New Zealand is Craigieburn. Yeah. It's just really close. And I, I like being there, whether it's just being in the forest or mountain biking or hiking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. So tell us a little bit about the the process in your mind like I, I get the sense that for you photography it is a form of art right like you're you're not painting with paint anymore you're painting mm. with the tools of photography but just talk us through how you approach photography how do I approach photography hmm it's very intuitively I wish I could say do it very technically but no it's very intuitively I choose like an artist I choose a brush I choose the lens mm -hmm. Each lens has a different result. So some is really close, some is further away, some is really sharp, some is more soft. So I have my, my prime lenses and I use them like that, depending on what the shoot is about, mm -hmm. whether I'm documenting or branding um, a company or whether I'm doing a portrait for the soul. Um, and then it's really connecting with the person. Um, the photography is actually a really smaller part, I find. It's more like we do, you know, come to a level where both of us really have the same rhythm and mm. have the same energy flow. And from there, people drop all their, f their 
do you say fences mm -hmm. um, or masks? Yeah, drop the masks, yeah. Yeah, so they drop them bit by bit, like layer by layer. Mm -hmm. And I ask them questions just actually like you do. Mm -hmm. But I take photos by, by doing that. And that just brings them to different places in their life, just mm -hmm. like you did with me. Mm -hmm. um, some are emotional, like I just told you how I got to New Zealand. Yes. And some are really joyful like childhood memories so like you i ask questions and they come very intuitively it's not a script um i get um nuances i get sometimes i know more about the person and they don't even have to tell it that's mm. just a weird bit on the part side part and that's okay um there's a lot of intuition playing and i just go with it my intuition often says turn around or take this or pick this or yeah. So I just follow it. I don't question it every time. I was like, oh, nah, that's just, I don't know. It was a missed opportunity. So I learned mm. to not ask anymore and just go mm. and ask a question where I think, really? But it just goes straight into their soul and opens something up. Yeah. And like, I compare like with a whale that comes up. They suddenly dive up and show themselves before they dive down again. Mm -hmm. And they close their eyes again or they look away. Some are like fantails, they come really fast and mm. open up and close and open up and close. Right. And some uh, just sit in front of you and they just emanate their energy and their soul and they're yeah. really comfortable who they are. Yeah. I think that's um, one of the gifts I have that is I see beauty in everyone. Mm. You know, they, they might go, I don't like my nose, I don't like my neck, I don't like my, my wrinkles. And I'm like, I, I look past that. And I create somehow an angle on them and the energy that I create within themselves that suddenly there's so much beauty. And when I show them the photo, they go, oh, my God, is, the, is that how I can look? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is how I see you. And that's quite often a moment where they cry because they see themselves too mm -hmm. and they look past all the wrinkles and the nose and the neck. Mm -hmm. They see themselves and connect with that. Mm. Because it's a lot of trust that we're talking about, isn't it? Between mm. you as the photographer and the person, it's building up that sense of connection and trust that they can reveal themselves in the photo, yes. right? Yes, massively. And I admire them. I did, you know, I, I was in front of the camera um, mm. once. Um, I a really gorgeous photographer, I adore um, Tim Hawkins down in Wanaka or in Bannockburn. And that was weird, but he's really good too. So mm -hmm. he was one of my mentors and I learned from him. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's hard. And I, I feel with my, probably I have, I'm a very huge empath. So I feel with the person sitting in front of me, having to look to me through a lens. It's a black object like your microphone. <laughs> so yeah. like, I can't paint anything really on it. And I need to build this connection even through that big apparatus mm. and that takes a lot of trust of mm. the person and so far they have trusted probably because i'm a people's person i don't mm. know yeah. but it has worked so far yeah well it just strikes me as well i mean it's just interesting to think about how we view each other mm. and what we see in each other because really what you're talking about is beyond the the physical appearance of a person mm. you're talking about the essence of the yes. person something that's even deeper yes. and i think from a western perspective unfortunately we've quite often focused very superficially yes. on the outside and i'm yes. talking about obviously how does a person look you know mm -hmm. like what clothes are they wearing and and forgotten maybe the the, the deeper essence of who a person is that is so true and yeah. you know every human is different it is like a snowflake you mm -hmm. know every single snowflake is different mm -hmm. and i 
totally believe that every human is different. And so every one of us has this unique essence or energy flow. And that's what I'm aiming for is to get that. Mm. And it's, it's not always easy. You know, there's also work involved. But when I get it and I can show it to them, I think that's where they are so touched is because I finally see them. And I think we all want to be seen. Mm -hmm. It's really important for us in our work or in our relationships and our connection with ourselves. We, we want to express who we are. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a tricky bit because no one knows ourselves as well as we do. You know, no one lived through my life, those 45 years, those easy times, those harder times, the tears of joy, the tears of, of sadness, you know. No one was there with me apart from me. So I think that we finally get seen by someone, it really touches us. It makes us whole in a, in a beautiful way. Mm, I agree with you. And I think... The, <laughs> the other thing that strikes me is that the photography, you know, when you reveal the photos that have been taken and that someone maybe looks at a photo of themselves and sees something about themselves yeah. that they hadn't seen before because it's been done, you know, through your your lens or your camera. And yeah. I know for me, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a little bit of a different topic, but the reason I start the interviews by asking somebody what was life like when you were five years old is that I find that by opening up about that early part of their childhood, mm -hmm. they're more willing to share later. Because if I had just started the interview and said, so Stephanie, tell me about your process when it comes to photography. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, we, <laughs> wouldn't, we, we wouldn't, it, it just wouldn't have the same mm -mm. Um, depth of, because what we've done is actually built up relationship, even in this short interview, to then now be able to talk about these deeper things. Um, whereas, you know, maybe, the, the shorter version, you know, the seven-minute YouTube version would just be <laughs> at a very high level, and we wouldn't have found out about your great-grandfather and, you know, the, the hut in the mountains, and mm. that's what I love about that, you know. So anyway, the point is, when you take photos of people and they look at it and they see a different bit of themselves, that's a really special gift, I think, that you can give to people. Mm, I feel, That's the feedback I get, yeah, yeah. that they're really treasuring that yeah. that's lovely but i do love what you just said and i don't want to like push it away i think yeah. it's actually really lovely that you have that that you build that connection over time and how important it is i think in everything we do in life is that you have that that yeah. you build a good foundation yeah yeah well i think i think this is a mutual friend natasha zimmerman wrote on your website and i'm just going to read it because i thought <laughs> it's a really nice summary it says steph is hands down the most talented photographer i've ever met she has a beautiful blend of natural ability practical experience and one-of-a-kind intuition it all comes together to produce photographs that capture the deepest essence of a person or an experience mm. which i think that's really cool to read about what somebody else has said because mm. that's very much what we're talking about um, yes. kind of resonates. Thank um, you. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she's amazing with words. She really does know how to put them together. So I would have never been able to say that about myself, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is the beauty that we can each offer each other in community is that each of us sees each other in a different way. Mm. And the fact that she would write that about you and you would take a photograph of her, and I'm sure if she was here, she would say, wow, that photo that, that mm -hmm. was taken was so special. Mm -hmm. You know, like we can each, 
reinforce and help each other see the best bits of ourselves. Yes. And that's something that I think we don't do enough of. Or even sometimes we see the best bits of the other person, but we don't tell them. Ah, oh, that's a good one. You know, we don't go that extra step of ah, sending so them a true. text message or a note and saying, I love that thing that you did or whatever. I love that you mentioned that. Um, I agree. I think this world does need more of that of that giving mm. and of that mentioning and of just sending this little postcard or text message or voice message and just saying it, mm. putting these words out, they can travel and have like this ripple effect in people that is unknown. And I think that's something so beautiful. And it reminds me sometimes, I'm quite a, not a fantasy person, but very romantic, like I love yeah. romance and classic and uh, all these things. So I think it's also a virtue You know, it's also a virtue to, to, to invest in your life into that. You know, you, you have that many minutes a day, let's say. How many minutes do you put into putting these things out? You know, I see people always as a gardener. Like, how much time do you spend putting new seeds in? How much in watering? How much in just taking some harvest items? How much do you stand in front of your compost and get really sad because there's just the compost things? You know, like... There's a time for everything, and how much do you put out for these little sprinkles? Mm. And I find they're like sprinkles, like butterflies. You release them, and they travel, and they just bring magic. And mm. here we are with the topic of magic probably again. Mm -hmm. It's something very beautiful to recognize it and to voice it in any shape or form of mm. expression. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I called the podcast Seeds, because to me, seeds, you know, they look like they're dead. You plant them, and then by some kind of magic, a new life emerges. I, I, I just, I, I'm always astounded, actually, whenever I plant a seed and then it grows. It's like, what? How did that, how, how does it that, work? That and it's, but it's similar, you know, like, um, if we can feed into each other, if we can encourage each other, then that's going to grow new things. And the other bit on that is that you'd never know what is going to come, you know, yes. like, and the time frames of our limited perspective is we expect things by next Tuesday, you know, like <laughs> we, we want instant results. But some of these things that we're talking about, they might take a decade, they might take two decades. That we might know. not even see them. We might not even see them. Exactly. And I think we cannot control them either. Yeah. I find so many people try to control their life. If I do this job, then I get there. If I do you know this event then I will be there and I think there's no guarantee you don't know where it leads you have yeah. it's not in your control you think you have control but it's really 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 limited and I find if people would let go more of the control and just focus on their own garden bed of planting and connecting with other gardeners and exchanging seeds mm. you know and sharing ideas or inspirations like you do with the impact lunches and the impact conference unconference mm -hmm. um, that's just inspiring and that's what for me life is about it's mm. not about looking what the other has in his garden and whether it's growing faster or bigger or what has he done or can mm -hmm. I copy that when people say competition I just giggle I'm like, why would you put yourself in the position of seeing someone else as your competition? That takes a lot of energy mm. already that you put defenses up or be careful. Yeah. I think there are just a lot of people wanting to do really cool things. And sometimes you get lucky and yours get picked or chosen and sometimes someone else's. But it's not a loss. Like on a b bigger level of humanity, it's still a win. 
Mm. It might not be you that was there, but then that's the ego again, bringing in your name and yeah. your story and all of these things. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes, we can put links to things. So we'll put a link to your website. Um, and one of the things I like on your website is you've got lots of photos of people, <laughs> including <laughs> my family. Um, and one of the photos I actually love that you took, because there was a lot of photos in that photo shoot, right? Mm. There was literally hundreds, I think. But one of my favorite ones is not a staged one. It's, you know, I mean, not staged, but mm -hmm. um, not like, okay, look at me and smile. Mm -hmm. It's just the four children and they're all, they've just had a photo taken and now they're walking away from where they were. Yes. And they're all in kind of their natural poses. They're just looking around and it's just a really nice uh, moment in time. I so love that you say that because yeah. I believe that those photos are the ones that are often the touching ones. Uh, mm when they don't expect it, when the energy levels go back to normal, because everyone, every time I say, can you look at me, it cuts off something. Yeah. So I'm one of those photographers who takes photos when others don't, because I know there are these precious moments yeah. in between, you know, when, when no one is looking pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. that's the joy. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Thanks no, for sharing they're, that. they're great. Yeah. Yeah. We got that, that photo done in a little canvas or a little bigger size because that way we can see them in that moment in time <laughs> you I know love it. Um, so it's really cool well it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast i really appreciate you, your Steve. time and i love the the word magic that we've spoken about a couple times and i'm just thinking about that hut and the foresight of your great great you know um ancestor mm. there to build it and to make it a magical place that mm. clearly infused through your childhood a sense mm. of beauty and wonder in in the natural world and then i see how that's kind of flowed through what you've then done in your life yes. um, but i want to leave the interview with an encouragement to you that that what you're doing is really important and you're you know you're capturing um, people and the essence of who they are through your photographs mm. and i think that's a really special gift that you have to offer to people so thank, thank you. you for that that's yeah. very beautifully said i keep that in my heart written on a little scroll with a feather <laughs> that's great well what we'll do um, is we'll put some links in the show notes people can find out more and um, reach out to you um, if they're interested to find out more about what you do but thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you thank you for that magical moment that was lovely in time well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephanie. For me, there was lots of highlights, and I really loved the diverse topics that we ended up covering. There's heaps more content in the show notes where there's some links to things, and I'd really appreciate it if you spread the word about the podcast by telling at least one other person. Until next time! Mm -hmm.